Hi, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. This week I am uh, talking to the great Michael Rock, who of course is the co-founder and creative director at 2x4 in New York City, where he's worked on projects from Prada to Kanye West. And if that's not enough, he is also a professor at Columbia in their architecture department and writes regularly about design in the widest sense for the New York Times T Magazine. This is a really exciting and special episode for me. Michael's work has perhaps influenced how I think about design more than anyone else. And I've admired his career for a long time as both a designer and a writer. His book, Multiple Signatures, which came out a couple years ago uh, in 2013, unsettled me in the best way possible. And I can't tell you how many times I take it off my shelf to refer to it. Uh, in many ways, I credit it with uh, being one of the main reasons why I decided to go back to graduate school so I could kind of think about design at, at a deeper level. I uh, visited 2x4 back in July and got to spend some time with Michael to talk about this hybrid practice as a designer and a writer. And we also talked about the state of design criticism and the importance of theory and thinking deeply within and around graphic design. Uh, so like I said, this is a very special special one for me. Michael is incredibly smart and articulate, and I really appreciate him taking time out of his schedule to talk with me. I know I learned so much from this conversation. I find myself thinking about the things he talked about often, so I hope you get as much from it as I did. So here is my conversation with Michael Rock. that I wanted to talk to you specifically is one, your writing has had a kind of big influence on my development as a designer from very early on. And I think you're one of the few people from, from like an outside view looking at your career, one of the few people that has kind of maintained a consistent design and writing practice. Um, you know, you can probably like count the number of designers working today who have done that and the number of designers who have done it uh, at the time that you've done it, I think, gets even smaller. Mm. And so I thought uh, just kind of like a good way to start just to kind of like set the, set the stage is how, how did that kind of start for you? Was it kind of design for uh, was it, you know, design first or writing first? Or how did those things kind of come together? Right. I understand the question. You know, I think that the... Um when, when I was uh, undergraduate, I was studying English literature, and my focus was on modern poetry. And you, you know, when you look at modern poetry, English and American modern poetry, uh, it starts to have a very strong visual component to it, in the sense that where words happen on the page and things yeah, like that become yeah. an important section of that. And and so as you break away from conventional structures of poetry to things which were intentionally made to overthrow those structures. Um, it, it takes several different routes, and so in, on one level, you have like the imagist poets who are who are specifically trying to describe visual things, yeah. and then on another level, you had basically you know the kind of modern uh, the historical avant-garde movements of futurism and surrealism. And things like that, there was really thinking about the visualization of poetry itself. So, so I started off with that, and I, and I was spending a lot of time thinking about that, and I went from there to, and at the same time I was 
studying art and, and doing a painting and things like that. And so when I went to graduate school at RISD, it was already something that was very natural mm -hmm. yeah. uh, thing that I was interested I was interested in words. I thought of myself as you know, a, someone who studied literature more than I thought of myself as a designer at that point. And so, it, but the idea of visualization of language was my in, into that. Okay, interesting. And, and, but then, you know, I have to say for a long time, I didn't feel very much like a designer. And I always felt someone on the outside of that because I always felt I had this somewhat academic interest in design. And I was uncertain maybe to an extent about, you know, the design I would make myself somehow. And I think it takes a while for yourself to imagine yourself as a designer in a way, you know, like yeah. that, that you have those skills or those qualities. And so um, maybe in, in a way as a form of compensation, in the beginning I tried to very much immerse myself in being a designer and making design. And I stopped writing at that point to a certain extent and was really like thinking about practicing in a strong way. Though, though very quickly on after graduate school I started teaching and I was teaching specifically at RISD and what was essentially the semiotics uh, program there. So I was still doing a lot of reading and research and thinking about Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And so when you, when you were a student there, was that when you were kind of like, kind of abandoned? Yeah, I think to a certain a extent. No, I mean, I was still interested in those things, but I think I was trying really hard to learn how to be a designer. You okay, know? So, yeah, so, yeah. You know, And I was, you know, I, there's, there's something that can happen and I think that ha I see it in my students all the time too, which is that when you're a little bit out of place and uncertain, you can you can hold on to your otherness, you know, mm -hmm. like oh, I'm I'm you know I'm right. not a really good designer because I'm a this or that, right, you know. Right. And I could see that happening to myself, which is that I would hold myself apart because I thought of myself not really a designer. I hadn't gone to art school. I didn't do these things, and so you know, I, I so you can your your outsiderness becomes part of your persona to a certain extent. So yeah. I was really trying to actively break that down and be like I really am a designer and I really wanna be a designer. And and I think that I I, I over indexed on the visual for a while and um, you know, kind of really playing with the, with the forms of graphic design because I was trying to really invest in that and become part of that uh, community. And I would say that um, you know, I, I, I practice design and then uh, I, I work for a couple different studios and, and then I, I, a friend of mine from RISD and I start open to a design studio in Boston. And that's when I started thinking about writing again about what, what I was doing because I was starting to think about in a reflexive way about the work that we we're making, you know. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and also I started to think about the industry of design and some things that kind of irritated me about it or, you know, I didn't yeah. like or yeah, I thought yeah. there's a kind of stupidity to some of the discourse around it that I wanted to engage or something right, that like right. it made me mad because I was like, oh, this is like the writing was so bad in general and I was just like, and I also felt like there was this kind of lack, there was like this missing thing and I, yeah. The more I practiced design, I thought it was so strange because there was almost like silence around it as a subject. Interesting. And you know, and I think that the the when there was like writing about advertising, there was writing about architecture, there was writing about these other things, but no one, of course, some people were, but no one was really writing about what I thought like the real material of design was, like the actual like no one wrote about typography, for instance, as, oh, a, as yeah. a subject. Yeah. You know? And it's almost like no one knew how to write about it or something like that. And so. I wrote, the first thing I wrote public was I wrote this 
response to an interview that was in print magazine between T. Bar Kalman and Charles Duffy. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and it was because I felt like the the conversation between them totally missed the point. Like they were talking this kind of surface level, and that there was this deep level yeah, which was yeah. which they actually were both reinforcing, and they were missing it. And and so I think you have to understand also the context that I like was educated in, which is a little bit different. Which is that I came into political consciousness at a time when structuralism and semiotics and then post-structuralism were extremely relevant in the academy right. at that time. Yeah. You know, and they were really um, that that was the prevalent way that we would think about the world. And so I wanted to see things as uh, representations of deeper structures. Right, somehow. right. And um, the, you know, one, uh, one of the reasons that I often went back to Bart at the time was that when I was interested in the work that Bart had done in the 50s writing for newspapers, if you look at the models of, the three big models, such as Saussure, Marx, and uh, Freud, that all of those were models, basically, of which then you tried to find in the real world applications of that model, mm -hmm. right? So, so you establish basically first the the situation, and then you try to figure out if the if the model works, and then you yeah. keep doing it. And so yeah. that, that I wanted to try to take that approach somewhat, you know, in my own modest way, because you know, like I'm not art, and I'm not any of those things, people, but <laughs> right. but but to and but then to apply that to design itself, and so um, that's interesting. So. So I, I, I started to write a few things, these kind of early pieces, and in a way, I almost, in, in this kind of weird reversal in the way that I came in design feeling like I wasn't a designer, I then set, started to feel like I wasn't a writer. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so like, I, like I, somehow, somehow I, I was always like on the wrong side of it. And, and I, I wasn't sure, like I didn't, you know, I, I kind of wasn't that confident in terms of that writing was something that I had something to say first of right, all, right. and that I could that I could write well or something like that, and so that kind of came back to me slowly. And um, so then when I went to Yale, um, I moved from Boston back to Yale, and I started teaching full time. So then you know I got really involved, obviously, in the development of what would become the way the way because when I came to Yale, I came right at the year after Sheila came there. And I was really wanted to to uh, reform what the thesis had become at Yale, and so I spent a lot of time working on the pedagogy of the school at that point, and thinking about teaching. And plus, also, I was in a like, super rich academic environment, and you know, right. it was at the height of identity politics and a lot of things that were going on there, and it was just like incredibly uh, active time for thinking about all these issues, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that, that also into thinking about that that these theories could be applied to all of the products of popular culture, like not just books right. and movies, but right. that all of these things would be um, uh, objects to study. But even in that case, again, design was always somehow absent because I think that it was such an obscure profession, but also it hadn't gone through the huge explosion that it went yeah, through yeah. subsequently. And it hadn't been like, there weren't people who were practicing it outside of probably like Rand or something like that who kind of wrote about it in a detailed way. There were people who were practicing it who were also being reflective about it. Yeah. So, so, um, so then I started, uh, from, weirdly from just that thing I'd written for print magazine, Chi Perlman called me and said that they were redoing ID magazine and they were starting over and they wanted to have a regular design critic and what I was interested in. So 
when I took oh, that wow. job, what was good about it was that it just demanded that I write one thing a month. Okay. And I had to come up with an idea and write it. Yeah. And, and yeah. it was, and that's like really good practice because, you know, you have 1500 words and you do it, you know, you come up with a subject and then you come up yeah. with a, a take yeah. on it. And so it just got me into the rhythm of writing right. again about, you know, looking at the world and trying to find evidence of this model in the world, right? So, so you have a model in mind and then you look for evidence of it and then you yeah. play that out in all these different and, ways. And at this time you're teaching at Yale? I was teaching full time. Are you, are you design? Yeah, I was designing and also and Susan, my partner and I were designing. She was a graduate student at the time in the American Studies Department, oh, okay. which is also really influential because she was an academic program looking at subjects and, and she was doing her, writing her thesis at the time on uh, typographic unions so uh, oh, okay. you know on, on labor practices and yeah. typographic unions so yeah. so, so you this know is interesting and it was this really rigorous pro program she was in she was working with David Montgomery who's probably the greatest labor historian in the world and 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 so looking at at you know again like typography but really in this kind of deep historical way of yeah. looking at typography and so she was looking at big six which was the typographic union in New York at the time okay. and, and, and so so there were just like all these factors that I think were really influencing the way of thinking about writing and um, and so I would say that period was really influenced by that way of thinking yeah. about um, design and so then when we moved to New York to start the studio because she decided she wasn't going to finish her PhD that we were going to work instead and so we came here and I think that the I was really curious about now starting a business, okay? Right, like, right. And then you get involved in a whole bunch of other stuff, you yeah, know, like jump yeah. in front of your business. Yeah. And, um, and I think for a long time, you know, just getting that going and making work and doing all the things that you like learning again to be a designer, but now right. learning to run a business and stuff like that take over. But then there's a whole nother phase of writing, I think that happened, which the writing that started to influence the work we were doing. Okay. So like writing really specifically for the work and that that went everything from sometimes copywriting to sometimes writing presentations yeah. sometimes writing brand things you know sometimes writing uh you know uh, text for yeah. um, films or you know scripts or things like that and so writing just became a really natural part of what i did and increasingly it became a really important part of what the studio did because providing you know if you're only designer then oftentimes you don't have as much influence whereas if you're obviously writing the content right, and you're writing right. the strategies, you take on more and more control of it. And so the fact that I was, you know, I always saw it in a way separate, which is I wrote as a critic and I made a design and uh -huh. then the work came together and then writing became a, a product of the studio, right? Like yeah. it was one of the things that we make. And, yeah. um, and then that way I don't see it as any, like now they're so deeply entwined the product of the studio is both design systems and words and oftentimes the place right, where they, and, right. and that's that's what we sell like that's yeah, the thing yeah. we sell and, and so you know so it became really you know starting off with really simple things like writing you know a presentation or something like that like right. playing with words and images to make yeah. a point that you're doing and and the whole, the whole sole purpose of that is to propose an idea yeah, or something yeah. like that. and then to much more you know things now where we write you know, really detailed kind of strategy things and where we're getting paid to provide the words or the language for something. And then, you know, 
it, the criticism part came back again because then I started to have opportunities to write again, and now I've been writing, you know, write for the Times now, and yeah. you know, and so it's been a way to come back to this older way of like having this deadline and writing 1500 words yeah. about a subject. Yeah. And so, you know, it kind of happens on all these yeah. different levels. So, I, so I, that's a long way to answer your question, but so, yeah. I, I, and you, I, it's actually a great answer because you've basically set up all the other questions that I have <laughs> okay, down here. So I have to figure out what order I'm going to go in. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, actually, let's just, let's just start with the times, mm. if that's all right, since sure, you yeah. kind of just mentioned that at the end, because that's something that I'm actually like really interested in mm. when I f saw your first piece, I think it was on branding. That mood probably, boards, right? Yeah, yeah right, late yeah. last year, and I yeah. thought it was, I didn't realize that this was kind of a thing that was now a part of your practice. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I have a couple questions kind of around that, and, and one is, do you see that as kind of separate from the work that you're doing here at the studio? Or, and then also, how do they kind of relate to each other? And then the second part of that is, I feel like the kind of writing that you're doing there is for a very different audience than mm. the writing that you've done in the past, a right. much wider audience. And, and, and also the subject I'm writing about is much wider too, because yeah. um, you know, I'm not writing just about graphic design anymore, and I'm trying to write about, you know, in a much broader right. way about, about design in general. Yeah, but, it, but it's interesting also, like I'm thinking of the, the homeland typography that right, starts yeah. very kind of pop culture, uh, right. political, but you kind of go deep into typography right, in yeah, that yeah, too. And yeah, so yeah, yeah, I was going about to go back to that because that, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about, which was that that what I really wanted to do was talk about it in this very in a way that a graphic designer would totally get. Like yeah. they it would they would appreciate that I know something about typography because what I found was really frustrating. A lot of times you'd read these things. It didn't talk about typography in a way that people, typographers really know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it would talk about it like they would talk about fonts or things like that, but it would totally miss the point. And you, when you read those things, you're like, this is nothing. Right. Yeah. So I, I really wanted to try to write about like typography in a really deep way for people who know something about typography, but also let that be open for people who don't know about typography. You yeah. know? And so, so I started to do that in idea a long time ago and to really, you know, talk about the kind of things that graphic designers talk about and, you know, the subjects that we talk about and the things that are of interest to us, but then also make that possibly interesting to other people, you know, and, um, and so that, that Arab piece, I think that your, your analysis is exactly right, which is I wanted to do something to start off that everyone could get, yeah, and then, but then get really down to like, that typography is a political act, yeah. and there's a politics to typography, and that typographers deal with that politics, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I think that that's always been the trick, which is how can you talk about it in a way that a graphic designer or a typographer would appreciate it, but also that someone, you know, they have three million readers at the time, so you yeah. have to go and like, yeah, lots of people could read it. I've, I've loved all, I think you've done three probably by this uh, point? Three, yeah, I just finished um, the fourth one, yeah, so. And, and that, I, I've loved all of them, but that one was the one that was my favorite, mm. and I read it multiple times mm. because I was like, how, how did he do this mm. and navigate that? Because I feel like you did, you were successful right. in that, in kind of blending that kind of populist kind of conversation with something that was very right. specific. Yeah, and I think that's something I'm really, I'm really thinking about a lot, especially because I'm, you know, it's part of the edict for the times, which is that you have to write, you know, for the times yeah. audience. But you know that I don't want to, I don't want to become this kind of thing where it's, it becomes really um, bland. But that it's still, you know, uh, I'm still writing it from a graphic designer's yeah, position, yeah. You know, and, and that there's a knowledge to it. And and so I've been thinking a lot about those structural ways to do that, you know. And there's lots of different structural ways to try to try to get at that. You know, which is that 
like in that one you use something which is non-threatening and uh, you know everyone can watch Homeland they can kind of get what the issue would be or to talk about things which are familiar enough you know that even if you hadn't seen it you would kind of get the idea yeah. out of it yeah. or to see you know like in the first one about branding that people who don't really think about branding actually dealing with branding all the time they're just not thinking about it right. and, so, and then so what I wanted to show there was that you're oftentimes on the receiving end of that stuff and but you don't know what the right. behind the scenes way of people right. are doing that you know and yeah. so, so so it's either like revealing the inside going from the pop to oh, the, the detail you know there's uh-huh. always there's some trans there's a, a kind of transformative moment that happens when you, you know and, and so like if you if you take the Arab one it goes from a pop thing to a history thing uh-huh. to a, to a methodological uh-huh. yeah. thing and so so to first say like okay this is something but actually has a really long history and this animosity between these two cultures is a long time and that that animosity was exacerbated by technology and now kids are using technology to undermine it so so you know yeah, so you yeah. can see these transition points where yeah, you go for those that's things. interesting and so so i think that that's really when you're writing for those kind of audiences you have to find those turning points those places where you can kind of click from one story yeah, to another yeah. somehow you know? it, i Last week I talked to Stephen Heller and we kind of we talked about something very similar because I was asking him about that kind of different publics that he's writing to and and uh, he kind of said a very similar thing of kind of either putting in certain words or turns of phrases that mm-hmm. designers would know to kind of let them know he knows what he's talking about right, yeah. but then you know removing some sometimes mm-hmm. so it doesn't get too bogged down in jargon and things like that. Right. Um, what's that kind of process like? Well, that, a lot of that happens with your editor, too, because the, yeah. the editor is sort of, you know, in my case, I have a great editor there, and she's she's basically the representative of the people, right? So right, she's right. like, people aren't going to get what you're talking about here. And um, uh, But, you know, I have to say that I haven't had a, it's been a really very easy relationship with them, and, um, uh, you know, because I, I think I've thought about the subject for 30 years, so, you know, I'd like something to say about it. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I think that also the... Um, uh, you kind of get a sense of, you know, what people will understand, and that that piece is actually was much longer originally. Uh, you know, I think it was probably another five hundred words longer than that, and and it went into more historical detail, and okay. because I got really into the history, because it's really fascinating. Actually, you know, there there were like these there was a technological reason that Arab type didn't get set and a political reason and the, the two twined together, right? So oh, part of it was that, you know, that there was a kind of resistance to using Western methodology at all because it seemed yeah. wrong. And then another part was that it like physically was hard to do, you know, like the type right. didn't give, give itself to yeah. into cutting into blood, you know? So, so you had this kind of weird confluence of, yeah. of, of technology and politics oh, that's together. fascinating. So it, it went into more detail on that, but she was like, well, you know, I think that it's getting, you know, it's becoming too much of a history lesson. So right. let's, so I, I cut that back a little bit, but you know, she, so she's good at modulating, you know, kind of where that should fall. And, um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes there's parts I'm sad to let go because I want, because I'm interested in it and I want to keep going yeah. on it, but it, you know, it's not a place for an academic right. essay. It's a place for something. Are you are you pitching these stories or these ideas or? or? Yeah, we we just have lunch and then okay. I talk about the things I'm thinking about, you know, okay. and she yeah. talks about things that she's thinking about, and so and and then there are this, you know, like right now I just finished one for women's fashion, and so or like the last one which was on metallics. Um, oh yeah. That was that was in a beauty issue, so I wanted you know. I wanted to write something that would somehow go along with beauty, and so uh-huh. so the, there's themed issues. So like this, you know, one, this next one's women's fashion, and so I'm writing about 
retail shopping, and then the next one is about design. And I'm going to write about um, there. I'm going to write it as coherence piece. So, so the, they they somehow mirror what's going on in the issue. Anyways, right. You know, oh, okay. So, interesting. So, not, not it doesn't have to be exactly, but you know, I think that that's the interesting thing, which is it forces you to again deal yeah. to put your model. Like, you know, if you take the metallic one, like, can you apply the model to lipstick? Right. And if the model works, you should be able to apply it to the lipstick, you know. And you should say, okay, lipstick isn't just lipstick. Lipstick's yeah. indication of a bigger um, cultural moment, and there's a re there's a way to read that cultural yeah. moment. And and if you look at that, you should be able to find reflection of that moment in other things. And so in that one, it starts off with, you, you know, it starts off with the Met Ball because mm -hmm. it just happened, and and then it goes into makeup, and then from makeup it goes into the idea of mechanization and mechanization yeah. into robots, robots into yeah. cyborgs, cyborgs back to makeup. So you have like this kind of progression yeah. again, you know, so. The, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on, on, on this because there are other things, but I do have one more question because I loved the metallic piece with just the breadth of examples that you kind of pulled mm. in. How, how long were you thinking? It's an interesting um, history because I wrote a piece almost like five, five years ago or something like that, on disembodied robotic voices. And uh. I had thought a lot about, and in fact, I used a little bit of that in this piece because there was a kind of similarity. So it's subject I thought about already on a different, but a kind of totally different way on yeah. it, you know. Um, but there's a lot of things I just like, you know, I, I'm kind of constantly trying to observe the world and think about yeah. things all the time. And yeah. so, you know, when you get old enough, you have a lot of references in your mind. <laughs> right, right. Like you've seen a lot of movies yeah. already, so it's like, you know, you can, you can pull them out. How do you, so how, how do you see, what, what's the relationship to that kind of writing to the work that you're doing here at the studio? Oh, one thing I want to say about the mental piece is that we also did the illustrations for that, and I thought that was like another, oh. you know, like, and that, so that's a kind of interesting thing, which is that those illustrations, we were working on a project for Prada at the time. And um, we, were, we were creating these robots, collage, right. robot collages. Yeah. And so it was just this kind of weird parallel about something we were making. We yeah. were making robot collages. I was writing about metallics, and they all kind of came together. <laughs> oh, so those collages that were in the Times were made specifically. Well, we, we made for, one for specifically for the Times, and the other one is actually for Prada. Yeah, for, yeah so. I saw they, they were very Prada-esque. Right, But yeah. it seemed like that. I yeah, assumed yeah. that I didn't realize they were. So, so, but so, you know, in a way, that that parallel, so what I find really interesting which is that part of what we do now as a studio is we, we create intelligence for our clients, right? So we're thinking, we're trying to think through cultural situations for them and right. say, like when you do branding, you're, you're trying to think of culture and you're trying yeah, to go figure yeah. out how do you fit into it. So to me, like this, yeah, this yeah. is a kind of research, a kind of articulation of research that surrounds all the work we're doing right now. Like, so for instance, we've right. been working on this new retail platform called theline.com and I wrote this piece on the domestication of shopping and that's very related to what we're thinking about yeah. for them. So there's a lot that, you know, they're, they're very close for me, like the, to write, to describe something is the way that you might write when you write something about branding or something right. that they would right. go together somehow and the, that one's just a kind of research for the other or something, yeah. you know, in articulation. And it's interesting because it kind of comes back to uh, your studio in Boston where you said that's when you kind of started writing again and it came out of stuff out that of you the, were yeah. actually working on. Yeah, so it. if you look at the metallic piece, like, you know, the 
initial impulse was that Mutual Product, the show, made the lips gold, and I was there, and it was sort of like, oh, that, that's peculiar. Yeah. But I was also working at Valenciana Product, where she gilded her building. So those were two things that I was deeply involved in. And then yeah. I just tried to dimensionalize that, like, right. like, how can we make sense of what we're seeing right now? Right. And that's something that we're involved in. And this, I mean, it's sometimes a little weirdly uncomfortable, like, you know, writing about things that I'm working on and stuff like that, but I think that's actually what's good. It, it, it allows me to at least know what I'm talking about right, to a certain right. extent. Like, these aren't, these aren't things I just made up. They're things that actually I know I'm involved in. I know that's happening, yeah, you know, yeah. and so, so um, you know, I try to always disclaim when, I, when I'm talking about something that I actually was involved in, but I think that, the, um, you know, it, again, the, that's where I feel like they're really, really deeply entwined for me yeah. now, like all those activities. They're, yeah. not, they're not separate. Do, do you write every day? Yeah. I mean, for some reason, you know, I'm yeah, writing memos. I, I'm writing. I realize yeah. that's a wide. Yeah, no, but, yeah. but, but 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 you know, I think that it's a really important important thing. I, I, I'm working. You know, so I I work early in the morning when I write. So um, you know, I usually have the first couple of hours of the day when I'm doing that, and then okay. the, the day gets much busier. But I'm also working on a new book project right now, and so oh, I'm trying wow. to do research on that. And I have someone here working with me on research, and so. Um, Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, I try to spend a portion of the day writing something. Yeah. And it's either I'm working on the next article or I'm working on, I'm reading, and, and, and I'm doing a lot of reading right now because I'm trying to do the research for that book. So it's like, uh, I could just spend like a, two hours just reading for that or right, something like that. Right, right. So, but you have to fit that in amongst your work, you know. Right, so yeah. It's not so easy. <laughs> right. right. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, your conversation with Rick Pointer about mm. design criticism that was 20 years ago like now, a, yeah, and, like then, and then you did right. the, the, the update. Did update, right? Yeah. Um, and I feel like I feel like that conversation is kind of continually relevant, but mm. also continually kind of reinventing itself right. with each. I mean, I'm. I feel like I kind of just missed the 90s kind of criticism period, right? Yeah. Uh, kind of boom. And I think sometimes I probably look at that with like rose tinted glasses of this kind of amazing time of intellectual curiosity. But I'm curious, what do you think about today? And there's more discourse around design than ever, as you mentioned. Right. And it's kind of become this. I've heard you say many times that. Uh, design has moved from kind of like the end of the process to the beginning of the right, process, right, yeah. which which I took directly from Bruno Latour. It's a great article you should read, which is called um, uh, "A Cautious Prometheus." I'll send it to you. Okay, um, yeah. But because that's his theory, basically, is that he, he's analyzing actually the physical, the word design itself, and the way that it transforms in terms of where it fits into a process. But but, um, but yeah, so it's, what do you think? Yeah, okay, it's, it's switching from end to a beginning. Yeah. And so I'm curious, just like, as somebody who has kind of been designing and writing through mm. different kind of periods of design, mm. who's now, who now, you know, is designing at a successful studio mm. and writing for the times about design mm. in the broadest sense, I, I don't even really know exactly how, this is a big question, but like, how do you feel about the discourse right. that's around design well, I, right I now? That, yeah, I think that there's a, it's been a really interesting transformation, I think, because if you think about like when I got out of school in the early 80s, you know, it was design was still very, you know, people still talked about the other joke, like, oh, my mother doesn't know what I do, you yeah, know, yeah. this kind of thing, like this joke, you know, and, um, you know, it was very, it was, it was pretty obscure and, and, in that way, there was a kind of good and bad part about it, which is the good part was that 
there was this very tight knit people who yeah. knew right. who knew about it, and then you agree, there was kind of fraternity around that. But but on the other hand, it seemed like very superfluous kind of work, and that's so different now because everyone's so obsessed with design, right? And, and what right. design should do and how design should be part of everything, and you know, and and in a sense, like now you never in, embark on a project without having the design in place, right? Like yeah, you know, yeah, and. And especially because graphic design itself has become such a prevalent medium, you know, it, it's, yeah. I, I can't emphasize enough how different it is now than it was then yeah. in terms of, you know, people not only understanding but valuing, wanting, thinking it's important, you know. Uh -huh. I mean, it's uh -huh. become like a, it's a really, really major change that way. And um, uh, But on the other hand, I think that in some ways, the more successful it gets, the worse the discourse is, or something uh -huh. like that. You know, like it's kind of like we're so busy making stuff that no one thinks about talking about right, it anymore, right, or something right. like that. You know, and so I do think there was a period in the '90s when there was an excitement that the idea that that uh, theory could yeah, have a, a yeah. role to play in it, which I don't feel now so much and that happened there's there's a reason that one reason that happened was that you don't you don't feel that theory has well i don't think that, that there's a feeling of excitement around theory okay. at the moment yeah. you know i mean there's a segment about making design because it's like successful you can right. make some money on right. it but but i think that the what happened was that theory was hard first of all it, the, a lot of the texts that were being applied are really difficult texts that you know right. they don't lend themselves they don't give over their information yeah. easily and i think that the um there was a sense too that the work that was being produced by it was coming more and more distant from the real world somehow. Yeah. And in the late 90s and the early 2000s, I think there was a move toward, in architecture, what was called the projective practice, oh, yeah. which is the idea that you should be able to enact your ideas through work, not separately from work. Right? The projective practice was, you know, we, we, we always have been embraced being a commercial studio. We want to make work, but we wanted to try to go and make work, which is still interesting and engaging and theoretical in a way even though it was done for commercial right. practice yeah. right? and so that was the idea and, and in a way the kind of really complicated aspect of theory kind of fell off to yeah. a certain extent and so you know I think we're now we're in this position I'm not sure like I mean you could probably tell me better who do you think are like the interesting writers right now about design you know like are there, are that, there, are there I, that's the hard are there young part. theorists yeah. who are doing like I interesting mean, work or something that's kind of why I'm doing this is because right, yeah. I'm trying to find that also, right, yeah. um, which is why I also thought it was interesting that you said kind of in the mid-80s when you, or when you kind of responded to the mm. print magazine piece, it, you felt like there was this superficiality and that there was more there. In many ways, that's kind of how I'm feeling right. now, and, you know, there's a new, you know, a brand redesign or a new logo, and it's just everyone tweets their immediate reaction, and then right. everyone forgets about it. And that's, that's, uh, part of that is a medium problem, I think, which is that the medium doesn't sustain, and I think the medium doesn't sustain in the sense that, and I'm not a person who's like, oh, it's so bad now, it was so great then, because you know, I think that the medium brings lots of other things to it, but um, that it, it, it favors things which are very short, yeah. and it favors things which are very quick, yeah. and um, uh, so it's hard to go back to that stuff, or find yeah. that there's a kind of yeah, you know, density of it or something like that. Even though there's like you know, there's like lots of writing going on now because there's blogs and there's, you know, there's comments and there's things like that. But this it's hard to capture that or something like yeah. that you know, to yeah. really get at it. Do, does that change how you think about the writing that you do? 
I guess to a certain extent, but I really feel like I tried as much as possible just to do what I want to do and not like, not try to be, to fit in to a certain yeah. extent. Like I, I'm not sure I could anyway, so I just like, I write the way that I can write and I try to go and write about things that I think are interesting and to me and hopefully there's an audience for that. But I, I don't, I, I never, you know, because I never really participated in Facebook or, you know, those kinds of tools so much and I'm, I really like have an aversion to Twitter so you know it, it really makes me anxious so it's yeah. like when it would for me when I go on Twitter it just makes me feel like all the things that I don't know and haven't seen right yeah, it just yeah. Makes me feel like, yeah. yeah. you know and um, and also that that I'm really sensitive to comment culture which I, mm -hmm. I never read the comments to things like that because yeah. it really bothers yeah. me it, like, I can't it, do it either yeah like like I take it really personally and I get really offended or hurt or something like that and so yeah. like and, and so that kind of level of meanness and just snarkiness, I think it just, I don't get, it doesn't, get, doesn't do anything for me. So I just try to ignore it as much as yeah. possible. And, yeah. you know, I, I do things because I like to do them and because they're fun to me or they extend my curiosity. But I, but the way that those things become public, I don't like right. you know, so much. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think that the you know I mean it, it's been interesting because you know Susan's the head of design of the Met and they went through this rebranding and had you know this oh, incredible, right. incredible reaction to that. Mm -hmm. And you know that really struck me about how just like when we first started designing, mm -hmm. you never had any reaction to your work ever. Yeah. Like no one would ever know you yeah. did it in the yeah. first place. Yeah. And like you know if you designed a logo like if some colleague liked it that would be great you know yeah, yeah. but this idea that you would have like thousands of people responding yeah. to it and having something to say about it is so foreign to me like it's like and and you know, when I look at that I think 95% of it is just misinformed like yeah. it doesn't know oh, anything yeah, about it it's just like you know and so there's like all this noise and blah 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 but you know when I read through it I'm like yeah, it's yeah. not enlightening. It didn't move me. It didn't change me. It didn't teach me anything. It's just like basically a lot of like blah blah yeah. blah. Yeah. <laughs> my my next interview after you is uh, I'm talking to Michael Beirut. And I'm gonna. Mm. He's written about that phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the main things I want to talk to him about. Also, yeah. which I, think I really respected that, and I really respected actually. I I um, was asked like a bunch of other people to submit a thing on the new Google logo, which I oh, wrote, mm -hmm. and um, and I really respected his response, which is like I'm not going to do this anymore, and I, and I think I'm going to adopt the same position because yeah. I do think that there's this kind of instant commentary that you know, it just doesn't doesn't make me happy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, um, if anything, like what I've really tried to do in my whole career is like think about things really deeply or thoughtfully, and I'm not saying that I'm a deep thinker, but it's just like at least that's my aspiration. Like I like to. Do, to do it in a reasoned way and to think about it and to support it with evidence and have examples of something. And if it's just basically like opinion about stuff, it's just so yeah, yeah, empty yeah, to me. Yeah. So I have just a few more, we're getting short on time, so I just okay. have a few more questions. And I, uh, I think kind of what you just said about what you try to do, I think you're very successful at that. I talked to Rob Jean Petra also, and he's somebody who I think kind of yeah, I really like his writing writes also. in yeah. a very similar way where he kind of removes himself a little bit and is kind of looking at kind of a wider lens. Um, just to kind of wrap it up a little bit, um, I'm, and kind of going off of, of this a little bit is, what what kind of issues right now kind of in the, in the design profession do you think kind of need greater discourse around them or deeper discourse? Uh, well, I, I think that there's, I'm talking a little bit about what I'm, really interested in right now which is I'm really interested in the way that design what design does is design creates these kind of 
seemingly self-evident, coherent worlds. And that in doing that, we by designing them, it makes them feel real, yeah. even though they're imaginary. Yeah. And, and I'll give you an example, which is that the whole debate in North Carolina around um, the bathrooms, the whole idea that there's a men's and women's bathroom in its first place is a design decision, right? And that's a design decision that happened a long time ago by kind of gradually, like because there were no divided bathrooms up until the late 19th century. And, and so at a certain point, you start to get this ideological divide and it's about protecting women. There's a whole bunch of mm -hmm. like weird ideology around it. And then slowly that becomes part of the building code. And then right. it starts to be that every time you design a building, of course you're gonna have a men's and women's room. Yeah. That makes that division plausibly self-evident. Like, right. And, and right. what's interesting to me about the whole political thing is that it's used as an example, then it's like, yeah, but they might go into that other room. And it's like, the whole fact there's another room there is a totally imaginary yeah. thing. You only yeah, believe it because there happened to be designed yeah. that. And then, but once that decision's been made, then you can do a whole bunch of things. Like you can design icons for that. You can design tiles. You can design different right. fixtures. Right. And, and, and the more you design, the more fixed those things seem to be. You know, and they become more and more real because yeah. they're designed. And so design has this, this way of of yeah. kind of cementing the world into the way it yeah. is. And then it's only when they have the, this really big disruption, like what's happening now, that suddenly you're like, oh, wait a minute, that's a, that's a total fantasy in the first right. place. Right. And if you think about huh. branding like that, like branding is a way to take a whole bunch of disparate elements and making them seem coherent as a thing to the point where you're like, oh, of course, you know, that's like, yeah. that, look, at, look yeah. at all the stuff that it makes, so it must be yeah. real, right? And so, you know, I, I think that there's this really interesting point where to, to reverse engineer design process yeah. to under, understand not the way That's that we fast. not the way we, we we represent the world but the way that we make the world the way that we form the world that people understand and the way yeah. that the, 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 the things that. that we do start to make the world's um, again I, I, I use this uh, I, I'm looking at a lot of this philosopher um, called Nelson Goodman from Harvard in the 70s and it, it, that's his phrase plausible, plausible self-evidence and you know, he writes, in the, he has a fantastic uh, chapter on style, which okay. is also, I think, the thing that's totally under-theorized in design. Yeah. Because style is always seen as, first of all, this complete fake dis division between form and content. And style uh -huh. is seen as somehow a slightly degraded thing which is added on to something to make it special. But when you think about style, style is really the lens through which we look at almost everything. Yeah, right? yeah. And so if you're going to say, like, what a brand is a brand is coherent style what is uh you know uh, a body of work a body of work is somehow that it, it shares style in a certain yeah. way and but but yeah. then when you start to think about it you know i did this little experiment which is like if you google russian constructivism google image search you get a whole page of stuff that looks like it shares oh. style right but oh, it can have yeah. wildly different things right. like you know next to malevich you'll have um you know, some ad for a handbag company or something. Yeah, yeah. So the style is this coherent thing that makes all these things come together. You know, and That's and so so it has so so I think that this aspect of the way that the work that we make allows people to understand the world, uh -huh. but then they start to believe it. Yeah. You know, and so you know, how do you know when you're, you know, under the confines of the American highway system or not. It's because right. their signs are green and they have a certain, you know, interstate typography. Yeah. You know, and then when you turn off that, suddenly you're you're outside of that because you're outside of that mm -hmm. graphic system. And so so it you know, when when you feel safe, when you don't feel safe, yeah. when you feel 
um, part of something or outside of something. Yeah. All of those things are just like physical design things, right? Right. And Mark Wigley has an interesting quote uh, about uh-huh. you know this idea of you know there's no world left. There's only design. You know, and it's true. Oh, like there's, there's yeah. nothing. Yeah. There's nothing outside anymore, right? right? right. Like everything has been designed. Even wild spaces are designed because we def- let them be wild, right? We design right. the edge, like we define the edges yeah, of them. So, yeah. you know, and so, so this aspect where we're living in a world where everything's designed and we can only understand the world through these design things. So, so I, that's, that's what, in a way, when you yeah. ask me that question, that's what I'm thinking about right now. And that's what I'm really trying to write about. No, that's interesting. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've been kind of tr- thinking about and working on this essay just for myself about uh, kind of new- the idea of neutrality mm. and how that relates to defaults and things like that. Mm. And, and that actually is very connected to right. what I've been thinking about in a way that I hadn't even considered yet. So yeah, well, and I think, I, for exa- yeah, example, like the de- default, which is the most highly designed thing you could have, right? Yeah. Because, you know, you, you know and, and that's where I think you can't escape the aspect of design anymore. And um, and so if you use that idea of the nature preserve, which I always love that idea, which is like, yeah. you know, you think that it's a wild space, but it's wild because the edges have been defined yeah. to keep it that yeah. way, right? Yeah. You know? And so, um, so that aspect of what's preserved, what's wild, what's kept, you know, are all design decisions. So so I think that this theory of, of what designers do and the role they play in the world, and, you know, it, when you start to play that out, it starts to have really profound implications. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's really interesting, for instance, I, often, I compare the development of the Berlin Wall with Trump's wall, for instance, right? Uh-huh. You know, with the... With Berlin Wall, up until two months before the wall appeared, all the governments denied there would be a wall, like, even though clearly there was a plan to put uh-huh. one in. Like uh-huh. everyone talked about that. But then, as soon as the wall is built, which is a design, like you come up with an idea, you yep. build this thing, now suddenly you create two worlds, right? Which is a, where there was one city, now uh-huh. there's two cities. And now the two cities have to become completely two different things just because of this right. thing, right? right? And now Eastern, and then when you take the wall away, suddenly they have to become one city uh-huh. again, you know? Uh-huh. So you have like the, you know, and so when Trump talks about the wall, the wall has nothing to do with immigration. Everyone knows that because most people come here on overstayed visas, they don't uh-huh. climb over the wall. The wall is purely about a kind of design as a, a kind of mani- oh, manifestation, uh-huh. manifestation of yeah. a distinction, right? I see. What you mean. And, and so it's purely a symbolic act, yeah. like a, yeah. a twenty-two billion dollars symbolic act, you know. And, and to because now, now we're saying right. this, this is defined. Right. It's defined in a stronger way. That's like that. I didn't think of it that way. And so, so, I, so I'm really interested in this way, like this engagement of designed objects in the world. And yeah. Like that actually kind of leads into my last question, which is kind of a big question. So hopefully. It, uh, it doesn't take too much time, but I, I'm curious now, kind of hearing you talk about these things, do you see the work that you do here at 2x4 as a critical and theoretical activity? And, and I, the reason I ask that is I'm thinking about, I watched a video of the talk that you gave at RISD late last year, uh, where you kind of put everything in the context of the history of screens, uh, and kind of talk about your interest in that and motivation in that. And it was the best talk I've watched a bunch of your talks online that was the best one oh, thank you. Um, and it seemed I don't mean to be too reductive but it seemed like a career manifestation of the ideas that you were arguing in designer as mm-hmm. author a little right, bit right, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And so I'm just well, yeah, to me, close. Let me, if let you me could try, just try that because yeah. I think that you know when, especially when you work for a long time, you always have to try to make sense of what you did, right? And yeah. and it's a constant revisionist history. Like you're yeah. because anytime you put together a slideshow, for instance, you're throwing things out and you're putting other things in that make sense. That you're you're trying to create coherence again. Yeah. Right? Saying like yeah. what was totally a mess yeah. actually had some coherent right, thought right. to it. You know, and and but I don't see that as a negative thing as a positive thing you have to constantly try to make sense of what you're doing and you have to make sense of like, yeah. using the examples of what you have but you know I think that when you ask me if, if the work is critical and theoretical I would say yes with the caveat of that sounding pretentious in the sense like you know there's a lot of stuff we do that just like for whatever reason maybe it's banal or maybe it's we didn't do it well or maybe we had a bad client or maybe we we missed an opportunity or something like that like it's not everything we wanted to be but i would say honestly we try each time to do something you know and sometimes that's a really little thing like we want to do an experiment with paper or something oh, like that. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you know like sometimes we're getting a really small gratification out of something sometimes it's a really big thing and i think that we've had opportunities to do work which is very clearly authored where we have a lot of control over every aspect of it which is a complete representation of our ideology mm -hmm. and then some work which is like maybe only five percent of it is that you know yeah. and that's just the nature of working and we're not artists we're working you know in a, a complex economy of people and of desires and needs and things like that so we're trying to do what we can in that we're in that grappling yeah. and um but i would say that what we try to do is we try to like i was talking about writing we try to have a model we try to apply that model to the work that we're doing, and then we try to see if we can make work uh -huh. which supports that right. somehow, you know. And and I think that that's a, a completely ongoing process. So like we're adjusting that all the yeah. time, and we're trying to loop in what we learned last time right. and do it again, and things like that. And uh, and also what we see other people doing and understanding like the world in general. And um, you know, but it's really like something I think that we talk about a lot, and we spend a lot of time really thinking about the work we're doing and what we're trying to achieve by it and uh, you know and I, I, the only thing I say is that like anybody we're not successful all the time yeah, you know, right, so, of course. Like, but we try hard you know, so, so it's you know and, and um, you know the experiment always for us for the three of us in the very beginning was you know to if you're three people working alone on projects for cultural institutions you can have a lot of control over what you do if you're 50 people working on really big, super complicated projects, yeah. you only have so much control. And that's not a cop-out, just saying that that's a choice we made and we, because we wanted to make things in the world. Yeah, like, yeah. Like we, and and I, I have complete respect for the three people working and making cultural work, and I love that work, and I admire it and everything like that. It's just not the choice we made. Right. We made a different choice, and the choice we made was to work this way. And... Um, and so there's a whole bunch of compromises to come with it. But there's also, I think, real opportunities and benefits yeah. of doing that too. And, and that, you know, I think that we've always found it really exhilarating to try to make big things. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Oh, beyond the scale I, of I what, the, yeah. the desktop or something. Yeah. Like that, you know, right? I, I love that. I think that this is a great way to kind of wrap it up. Thank you sure. so much for talking sure. with me. This was great. Yeah. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing what you this episode was recorded on July 14th, 2016 in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter at Surface Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm.
Thanks for listening.